This is a Federal News Network podcast. GSA auctions act as the government's clearinghouse for surplus assets and equipment, even when those assets are intangible. Recently, GSA auctioneers disposed of 11 lots of cryptocurrency. It had an estimated value of $377,000. For details, Federal News Network's Jonathan Tercasio spoke with the regional commissioner for GSA's Federal Acquisition Service, Thomas Myron. GSA as an agency has many different functions in support of the federal government. One of those is the GSA auction program itself through gsaauctions.gov. Through this program, many of our agencies will declare surplus property to GSA. GSA's mission in that instance will be to auction the property off to the general public, with the proceeds then being returned back into the federal treasury to further support the government mission. Now, normally, there are multiple auctions held throughout the course of the year. Last year alone, we auctioned off over 60,000 individual line items of surplus property on behalf of the government. So what are the biggest sources of items for these auctions uh, in terms of law enforcement seizures, federal fleet vehicles to retire? I mean, what kind of things are auctioned here? It's pretty much just about anything you can imagine. A lot of times when our clients, you know, the general public go to gsaauctions.gov, they'll go down into the platform and it's almost like a treasure hunt. You're going to find everything from personnel boats, marine vehicles, construction equipment itself, personal equipment, PP&E. It's also being sold through the program as well. Motorcycles, bicycles. Occasionally, you're also going to find higher value items itself. So we've also rolled through high value jewelry, bullion and gold coins, etc., and high value vehicles such as Mercedes, Ferraris and Lamborghinis as well. Although those are more rare because those are seizure items. But most of the time, it's a lot of construction material, vehicles, boats, aircraft, aircraft parts. We'll also get into, in some instances, some historically significant items as well. We do a lot of these sales on behalf of NASA itself, where we auction off NASA artifacts. So as they decommissioned much of the shuttle program, many of those items GSA would either donate to educational institutions to help further the educational mission, or also we would auction those off through the GSA auctions platform with those proceeds being returned back to NASA. And this latest auction involving cryptocurrency is the fourth of its kind to happen this year and even in GSA history. Talk a little bit about how you auction off this cryptocurrency, which is intangible. What is the visible manifestation of it? We auction off assets, physical assets. And you're right. This is the first instance in whereby we are auctioning something off, which is a digital asset itself. So agencies have reached back to us earlier this year asking if we would be able and willing to expand our auction program to accommodate cryptocurrency itself. We initially were very intrigued by this, but realized that there was a lot more information that we needed to go into and gain from this. Obviously, as you're aware, the cryptocurrency market is a very volatile and continuously fluctuating market. So in doing as such, we decided to go out and do a test run of our first auction itself, which we hosted in March. For that one, we only auctioned off a portion of a Bitcoin itself, three quarters of one Bitcoin. And we had done a lot of the legwork in front end of it. So there's several things that we had to do that typically we would not necessarily have to do with a pure physical auction in itself. Aside from researching the entire cryptocurrency market, we had to determine what would be in the government's best interest and the safest method to possess or take possession of the cryptocurrency itself, to securely store the cryptocurrency throughout the course of the sale, and then how to efficiently transfer that back to the winning bidder itself 
as you're going through the process. So there was very different ways in which we had done it. So after we had executed on that, we started evaluating the timelines for auctions themselves. Usually in GSA auction for a physical asset, we'll run anywhere from seven to 10 days. Seven to 10 days is a good amount of time to build up some interest, obtain fair market value return on the item itself, and going through it. However, with cryptocurrency and the fluctuations of the market, our analysis clearly showed that we needed to shorten that window. So typically on a cryptocurrency auction, we'll run it only about two to three days maximum. Now, a lot of our auctions, such for physical assets, we would have a hard stop time on it. But what we have found out through our research and our initial sales and auctions off crypto was that there's a buildup to it and a frenzy that builds at the end. So we had to have the authority and the ability to extend our auction when this bidding frenzy, so to speak, starts at the end of the auction time. That allowed us to execute our first test cryptocurrency for that three quarters of one Bitcoin sale very well. And we actually obtained 20% over market value at that point in time for that one auction. Since that point in time, we've gone ahead and processed and proceeded with three additional Bitcoin auctions of which we've gotten very good return on. There has been more discussion amongst the agencies and we'll probably see this is a, a new increase in the market coming very soon. This latest auction, describe how it's particularly unique in terms of what exactly is being auctioned off. Let's just give it as a comparison. Let's say, for example, we run across a, I don't know, a diamond ring, right? That has been returned back. It's been seized property. And they're told us to, GSA, we'd like you to auction this off for us. We take that. We secure it in a government facility in a vault. We take possession of it. We'll clear the payment of the winning bid on the auction, which might be by credit card. It might be by certified check. It might be by wire transfer. We're very accommodating in those instances. And then we will have to physically transfer that asset back to the winning bidder themselves just to ensure that everything is taken care of. When we're dealing with in crypto itself, it's a little bit more different because as you're probably well aware, the security of it is if you lose control of that cryptocurrency at one point in time, you lose the asset in total. So there is the potential for loss higher value of loss than in typical physical asset auctions themselves. So in these instances, we will go ahead and maintain the asset until we have cleared through. That's why also one of the changes that we made in our crypto auctions is we are only allowed to accept wire transfers as the form of payment because we do need to go ahead and track the individual that's purchasing the item, see the individuals that are bidding on the item, the individual that has the winning bid on it itself, we need to track the payments into us to clear through the treasury before we go ahead and transfer the asset back through the digital wallet to the winning bidder itself. So there really is a cradle to grave, almost a handhold of this cryptocurrency asset from the government's hold to the winning bidder themselves. And how does the government go about obtaining this cryptocurrency? GSA receives cryptocurrency for auction the same way that we would receive physical assets. And it's a wide variety of different ways. Those are items that have been deemed surplus from other agencies of the federal government. These are items that have been seized uh, from the marshal service or other activities in the agencies. Um, it could also be foreign gifts that the government has received that we need to auction off. So it could be a wide variety of different ways in which we receive these. Now, we have to actually develop ourselves and establish a digital wallet for the government to hold. Within this digital wallet, that will allow the agency that reports this property as surplus to transfer it to GSA. Now, there, with the coding on that digital asset itself, we'll be able to possess it and hold it 
a secure facility and in a secure environment. Following that, the individual who is the winning bidder must possess a digital wallet themselves, whereby we can transfer this asset to them virtually for their use after the winning bid and after their wire transfer is cleared. And this latest auction, too, involved Litecoin, which was the first time that ever happened for GSA auctions. Does the GSA anticipate having other forms of cryptocurrency being auctioned off in the future? I think it's fair to assume that we will have many different types of cryptocurrencies being routed through GSA auctions itself. With our success on Bitcoin and and Litecoin, I think what you're going to see is different forms of cryptocurrency increase in use, in value. We will ultimately see more of those that will make their way into the GSA auctions program. And who are these auction winners? You know, what do they do? We have a lot of people who focus very closely on gsaauctions.gov to determine different surplus property there, which will benefit them and support their business, support their mission, or for which they can actually invest with them. Thomas Myron is the GSA's Federal Acquisition Services Regional Commissioner for the Southeast Sunbelt Region, speaking with Federal News Network's Jonathan Tercasio. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, 
situations changed and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up. Uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right. And you never can go wrong. I think that is so important and you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters 
um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.